Hi everyone, this is Dr. Marv Rosenberg of the Safaris, and I'd like to welcome all your listeners to another episode of The Anatomy of a Hit, the show where you can get the inside story of a hit record, its artists, and how the song reached the charts. Today on The Anatomy of a Hit, we're going to tell you about this great song and group. Do you remember this one? Yes, it's the Cleftones, an underrated doo-wop group who had that 1956 doo-wop hit, which has become a classic. It's Little Girl of Mine. They also had such hits as You Baby You and in the 60s, Heart and Soul and I Love You for Sentimental Reasons. They were one of the few groups that actually had hits in two different decades, the 50s and the 60s. In 1955, the members of the group were high school students attending Jamaica High School in Queens, New York. The group initially formed around the idea of writing a political campaign jingle for Jamaica High School's unpopular student who was a friend of theirs. With this aim, Herbie Cox, who was the lead singer and founder of the group, along with other classmates, changed the lyrics to the song G, a then-popular rhythm and blues song by the Crows. Remember that? Performing the version of G resulted in their friend actually winning the school election. Well, the group began performing locally back then as the Silvertones was their name. They performed in a variety of neighborhood concerts, A regular one was performing at the Hillcrest Jewish Center Day Camp in Queens. The hit song G was originally produced by music industry legend George Goldner, who later on actually signed the group, the Silvertones, and renamed them the Cleftones. This contract was signed in 1955. How did this happen? Well, Herbie Cox, the lead singer, explains in an interview with Tom Merrill's how a member of their group got them an audition with George Goldner of G Records. We had a fellow who wanted to sing with us. He was a terrible singer. We used to sing in high school, and the girls would come around and listen to us sing. And this fellow, Dave Rolnick, who was a classmate of ours, he would, he'd want to sing. He was, he was terrible. He was yeah, he was. He, it, we used to say, Dave, look. You can be around, but don't sing. He messed up the harmony. He was always faking it, you know. And uh, so he said, well, you know, guys, if I can't sing with the group, can I be the manager? We said, anything, just don't sing, you know. But um, David took being the manager very seriously. We thought we were just taking a nuisance and putting him aside, you know, so it wouldn't be any problem. But uh, he took the duties very, uh, very, very, uh, you know, seriously, and he got us a number of auditions with uh, three or four different companies. The third one, I think, that we went to was to see George Goldner, and that stuck. He wanted to sign us right away. Many doo-wop hits in the 50s were made by singers who were under the age of 18, and to get a singing contract, they had to have their parents' signature, which was not always easy. In that same interview, 
Herbie explains how difficult it was to get his mother to sign the contract. And George heard us, he liked us, and he said, I'm going to give you a contract, take it home, uh, look it over, come back and, uh, with it signed, and we're going to record. Sounds pretty smooth. Everything's going to go smooth. It huh? sounded easy, and yeah. we, we couldn't believe it. It says, oh, this must be something to it. But we took these contracts home, and because we were minors, or close to being minors, my mother, for once, she said, I'm not signing this. I don't know what this means. I said, but Mom, I, we have to give this to Mr. Goldner. And so yeah. he, he, she said, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. So um, uh, my mother, along with some of the parents of the other guys, got together and they hired a lawyer, which made sense, except they got a real estate lawyer who wasn't uh, privy to, you know, the foils of, uh, of the music business. But he did, he did some good things. And he, he said the main thing that most of us were underage and we couldn't sign this without our parents. Well, our parents uh, instinctively knew that a contract as complex as they viewed it, and as we viewed it too, should not be signed without some official uh, sanctioning, and so they got this attorney. But as I said, he was not a music or show business attorney. He was a real estate attorney. Yeah. He put all these red lines through it, and I was very, 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 you know, shaky about taking the contracts back. All of us had our own individual contract, but our parents sort of saw it the same way because we had this attorney. And I remember we came into George's office and he said, okay, guys, you got those contracts now. We, sure. said, we gave them to him. He says, pardon my language, who the hell messed up my contracts? There's all these red lines written. He said, what? We said well, our parents said, well, who the heck do you guys think you are? You know, I'm giving you the break of your life. And, you and you know, he said, take this stuff and get out of here. I don't want to see you anymore. So how did this contract fiasco eventually conclude it? Herbie explains about this lesson learned thanks to his mom. I said, Mom, I, I, I want us to, to record. She said, but I did this for your sake. She said, you don't know what might come up in the future. But you know what she told me? She said, if you guys are really good, if you guys are really good, he'll call you back. She said, just sit tight. Don't say anything. Sure enough, in about a week, George called us. He, he said, fellas, Bring their contract back. I think we can fix it up. After the contract was signed, they were set to record their first record called You Baby You. Here is Herbie explaining once again what that was like. He said, okay, we're going go, to record you Tuesday or Wednesday. It's like three days. Okay, just work on it. Come in. And we had no idea what the concept meant. All we knew is we could sing this song a cappella because it's the only way we'd ever heard it ourselves. But he picked the song out, and I think we took 14 takes. In those days, it wasn't, it wasn't splicing. You had to do it head to toe. You know, you had to do the whole thing. And we did it over and over again. And where was this? Where did you do it at? Uh, this was in Manhattan. And, um, Are we talking Bell Sound? Bell Sound. Bell, Bell Sound Studios. And that's where we did most of our early recordings. Let's hear that first hit record by the Cleftones from 1955. It's you, baby, you. Well, 
And here's another version of this song, recorded by The Excellence. In 1956, Herbie wrote a song for the group which has become a doo-wop classic, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show. It's the Cleftones with Little Girl of Mine. Listen.
There are several covers of Little Girl of Mine. Let's hear a few. Here are the Diamonds who took this doo-wop song and made a version primarily for the white buying public in pop music at that time. It doesn't have the flavor of real doo-wop, does it? <laughs> Listen. The Electras did a cover of this song as well. Size who did an a cappella version of Little Girl of Mine. <laughs> Now, the Cleftones were not the only group who experienced discrimination and segregation in the Deep South when they were on tour. Early 50s in the South, on buses, white people sat in the front of the bus and black people were expected to sit in the back of the bus. The Cleftones recall this one occasion on tour in the South when a white member of one of the groups on that tour like sitting in the back of the bus when a confrontation occurred with the police. They stopped the bus to check out the seating arrangement and spoke to this guy. This incident ended up causing a key member of the Cleftones to actually quit the tour and the group due to this confrontation. Herbie explains once again on that interview with Tom Merrows. And the first time it was a rough experience. We never faced segregation. We hadn't gone through that. We didn't know what that was about until we... One of the people on the bus, songwriter, who wrote See You Later Alligator out of Gretna, Louisiana, Bobby Charles. He used to like to sit on the very back seat in the bus 
because they used to shoot craps back then. So he was, that's where he wanted to have the crap game. And police stopped the buses. There were two buses. And uh, they came on board and they didn't like the seating arrangement. It was not a situation where the black artist was sitting in the back and the white artist sitting in the front. And, and they singled out Bobby Charles and said, what are you doing in the back? He said, come up here and said, he says, I can sit wherever I want to sit on this bus. I'm an adult American. I always remember saying that. And I can sit wherever I want to sit. He said, well, you wise guy here. We're trying to tell you we, we, this. The, you Bobby's know. a white guy. He's a white guy. And, you know, <laughs> he, was, he was hot stuff. But he stood up to the cop. And everyone was afraid because it, it, we thought the cops was going to attack him. And then what would have happened? But it wasn't necessary. He just out-talked the cop. He said, I know my rights. You can't make me do this. You can't make it. Anybody. This, is, this bus doesn't belong to you. doesn't belong to this state. doesn't belong to this county. This is a private bus. And he told, he, they were very upset with that, but they got off. Buzzy took that very badly. He said, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to put up with these idiots like this. I'm not going to do it. And he went to the manager of uh, the tour and told him, I'm, I'm, I want to go home. He can't go home now. <laughs> you know, we're out in the middle of nowhere. He said, well, I want my pay, and then I'm going to go as soon as we can. And, and I talked to him, and I said, Buzz, don't, don't quit. Don't do it. We need you. He said, no, oh, Herbie, I'm not going to put up with this. I'm not going to do it. And he quit. In the early 60s, the Cleftones recorded a few standards, such as Heart and Soul, which was the only song the Cleftones did that registered on the national charts. It reached number 18 in 1961. See if you remember this version of that great classic song. It's the Cleftones with Heart and Soul. Heart and Soul The Cleftones also did their own style version of that old song called I Love You for Sentimental Reasons, also in 1961, which did show some action, 
especially on the East Coast. Let's hear the Cleftones version of I Love You for Sentimental Reasons. Kirby remembers when he had the opportunity in George Goldner's office to first hear the teenagers singing Why Do Fools Fall in Love with Herman Santiago on lead and how G-Records owner George Goldner asked Frankie Lyman to sing the lead instead of Herman, which ended up to be the classic as we know it. Here's Herbie explaining how Frankie got the opportunity to sing the lead on the song. Listen. What I remember, though, was significant. We, we were just finishing up. We were sitting in his office ready to leave. And he said, no, 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 stay here. I want you guys. I think one or two of our guys had gone. But I was there, and certainly Warren Corbin, the bass in our group, we were sitting on this sofa, and, and, and George says, I want you to listen to these guys and tell me what you think of them. So they came in. Uh, we're sitting there, on the, on, you know, watching these guys. They're, so uh, Herman was singing some songs. He was singing the lead on several songs. And I could see the way George was looking at him. He didn't like his sound, Herman's sound. Herman had a very heavy accent, Hispanic accent. And it was hard to make out what he was saying. And um, so after a little while, they sang, uh, uh, Richard Barrett said, sing fools. That's what he told him, sing that, sing fools for him. And he said, okay. And so Herman goes over and we're all in the same room. 
And there's Herman singing, Why do the birds sing so gay? <laughs> and the lovers await the break of day. Why do they fall in love? And, and you know, I, I could certainly hear Herman's accent. And I, I felt bad for him because I thought George didn't like it, which he, he was not happy with what he was hearing. But it was pretty obvious that, that Herman wasn't, the, wasn't the, the right person to sing lead. And he, George said, let me hear that little kid in the back sing, because Frankie was doing the high tenor. He said, can you sing this song? And he said, I don't know the words, Mr. Goldner. And Herman said, I'll show you the words. Herman sat, stood next to him and prompted him on the words. Why do birds sing so gay? Let's hear some more songs recorded by the Cleftones, which were minor hits, but great records. Here's a more up-tempo version of Earth Angel by the Penguins. Another song they recorded, a good one called My Angel Lover. My, 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 my angel lover. My, 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 my angel lover. My, 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 my angel lover. My angel lover. I swear by all the stars that there could be no other. Here's a song entitled, See You Next Year. Tones with Why You Do Me Like You Do. This is Dr. Marv Rosenberg of the Safaris. Hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you will join us next time for The Anatomy of a Hit. Goodbye, everybody.